This is RAF with Tony Tone and LA. <laughs> Yo, what's up, peoples? It's your boy LA, aka the Love Ambassador, coming to you straight live and direct from the Jungle Studios. And thank you for joining me again on the evening sessions with LA. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird announcing that when you're actually part of the title. But anyway, uh, we're here now. So for those of you uh, joining us, it is, of course, Wednesday hump day. Good luck. Uh, from my end, I've just got through it. It was tough. I'm tired and going to lie. And uh, if you're, you know, listening around the world and other parts and you're trying to get through, uh, good luck and Godspeed. So recently uh, on social media, um, what was kind of the debate started, I think, back with uh, Sway. Shout out to Sway as well. Uh, love your work. Um, when he had D La Soul, uh, the hip-hop group, on his show and they had uh, me myself and I with the album so 33 feet high and rising and they had the 30 year anniversary and what started off was actually supposed to be like a real um, celebration of what was going on actually turned out to be uh, the exact opposite and what ended up happening was uh, well What's kind of common within the kind of music industry where people realize that they weren't exactly getting uh, what it was they're supposed to have, uh, it being sort of a proper amount of money. So it got me thinking um, about how you always hear about all these artists and whatnot that produce this incredible amount of work but never, ever really with the exception of a few, seem to get the money that they deserve. Now, in the situation of De La Soul, uh, they were signed to Tommy Boy Records, and basically what happened um, was they, the record industry at the time didn't expect it to be a hit, and then when it became a hit, um, because the guys, when they signed, were really young, they yeah well they didn't really sign a very favorable contract and because it was back in 1989 obviously 30 years ago they hadn't accounted for things like uh, spotify itunes streaming as we now have today and on top of that in that era of of uh late in that era, because hip-hop started in the Bronx in 1973, and originally what was started by DJ Cool Herc, who shout out for like on my radio show as well, um, would take samples of records like James Brown or Parliament or whatever, and on two vinyl, play the certain bit of the beat that got the, the people dancing on the dance floor, right? And that was became known as a breakbeat. So hip-hop, uh, because it started literally in, like, the projects in the Bronx and, like, the gardens, house parties and everything like that, they weren't obviously as aware of copyright infringements and sampling and whatever. So by the time De La Soul's come around, you've had, like, already... 15, 16 years where DJs have just been sampling all different types of music. And what essentially happened was that 
they started to get into trouble because as the, the more famous it happened, so the more famous it became, all of a sudden bands were tuning in like, oh, hang on, that's, that's my song and that's my bit of music and that's my etc 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 and record companies got onto it as well so they started to get suits and the situation of um de la soul not only is it a, a fucked up record contract that they've got but also when it comes to streaming online because now you can automatically the 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 music companies have have sample things set up that as soon as it's played online and streaming they can basically track exactly what's going on and then it opens you up to legal cases as well so it's been a financial split as well as a concern over you know i mean they were young kids when they're doing it so what did we actually sample so there's a bit of a background of where i was kind of coming from with the idea for the podcast uh, and now what i want to do is just to the best of my ability kind of delve into the recording industry now this is a highly complicated uh industry and how they're screwing over the artist so i want to try and give you the simplest form and i ain't gonna lie it's it's been a long day <laughs> so i'm gonna try and you know push this out as quickly and let you uh, let you enjoy and you know keep busting the move so record industry how does it start so basically in the older days you'd have like a, a you know a band that would become sort of famous around the local scene you know the local radio or local area um in areas like the south in the southern rappers would you know press their own cds and start to them go to the back of the truck go to local um shows you know so like in west coast you'd go to local shows or east coast and local radio and whatnot uh nowadays it's changed a little bit in the sense of um you know youtube soundcloud and things like that where you know, anyone can kind of uh, record, upload a song, and it kind of get millions of views. I mean, like Bieber and, and other people like that. That's, you know, the start of how they get discovered. But as I'll delve into it, you realise <laughs> even then you don't make as much money. So for argument's sake, whatever genre that you're into, the artist starts, pops, gets noticed, comes time to the the record time right so then they usually get an advance so that advance might be um for the big guys in the millions for the other guys you know a couple of thousand or whatnot and then they have royalties but the royalties are, are split right because the royalty is uh, not just for the artist himself but the royalty would be for the beat producer or the songwriter if they don't write the song themselves and then other people associated with it so once you get your advance then in a lot of the cases that advance will be like a forwarding amount for you to go and do whatever you want but also what you've got to keep in mind is um you've got to record the album so the recording is not necessarily cheap i mean you know it's not like me with a laptop and a couple of hundred dollar mark and I'm, I'm doing podcasts literally on my in my family room like it can cost up to hundreds of thousands of dollars um if we're looking at rap music for example like the hype williams you know bad boy video clips are up to let's say a million dollars um then you've got the promotionals you know i mean i know for myself like even if i was doing i was running promos on the east coast of australia even on local 
community radio and that was like $700 for, you know, X amount on the radio to advertise it. So these guys that are going bigger and around the world, I mean, it would cost an absolute fortune. And then you've also got other things such as like, you know, packaging and then, you know, pushing with, with the radio and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you hear about these debts um, that the artists have, so when De La Soul, for example, turns around and says that Tommy Boy says that they owe me $2 million, that they owe Tommy Boy Records $2 million, or in the case of Sex Pistols with John Larden, he went on to form a band called the Public Image Limited, and he owed Virgin so much money, again, because of all the cost of recording videos, promos, etc., etc., that he had a whole, even with all the number ones that he was doing, he actually had a, um, he had to do an advertisement, get paid for the advertisement to repay the record company in order to release a lot of his songs. Uh, J.K.F. Jamiroquai, uh, his first album was a huge success because his cost of recording and videos and, and whatnot wasn't that much, even though this was back in the day in the CDs. But then on his second album, he overspent it and it didn't have the same record sales, so it ended up about even. Rolling Stones. Um, <laughs> so on a side note, I grew up in a massive Rolling Stones household. Like my dad, my music education comes from my mum. So my mum was really into like uh, Aretha Franklin, South African artist called Miriam Bakiba. Um, she loved Elvis, um, but then also just like into the rock and roll, soul music. In a previous podcast, um, you know, she got me into blues music and whatnot. But my dad had just one rule with music. And my dad was like, I don't want any Beatles, bubblegum, pop, this is a Stones household. But even the Rolling Stones, with the success that I had with my parents' generation in the 60s, they didn't make money until at least the 70s when they started to, you know, own their own record label. Even TLC heard a multi-platinum album ended up going bankrupt because the 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 costs associated with, you know, all the videos and whatnot is insane. So hopefully here I'm painting the picture for you that yes, you might get X amount, let's say half a million dollars or $10,000 up front, but then the record label just keeps deducting, deducting, deducting. Now that's before we even get into things like management. So management can cost up to sort of 20%. Other deductions could be like, um, you know, you've got to obviously pay for the, the technicians, you know, and then the songwriters and then the personal costs, then you've got to have legal fees because as I explained previously, especially in hip-hop that came up from sort of a sampling era, now the samples have to be cleared, right? And then you also have to pay the legal costs because you don't want to end up like a, you know, like a De La Soul or Credence Clearwater Revival, um, you know, where you have essentially bad contracts and you would have, want to have someone independent check what it is. Um, so now you see that in order to basically make it uh, in music uh, from just a pure uh, traditional artist before we go into online media, you need to sell an exorbitant amount of records. So that's why when you see people that have the money, like a lot of the times they will be like multi- platinum so like multi-million record selling artists because that's the only way they can physically pay back the the costs associated so then you would ask the next step would be i guess of um 
why does a record company do that? I mean, we all know that they're, that they're sharks, but they're also to be, I guess, to be fair with the argument is that it, it costs a lot of money to make people famous. Like it really does. Like, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, how many talented buskers do you see? How many, you know, even for myself, like as a musician, as a, as a classically trained pianist or as an MC, like, you know, you, you, you see so many talented musicians, but how come it is only a few that actually make it? And the few that make it is really from the, from all the very clever marketing and, and almost trolling like a Takashi 69, you know, the end of a job, but his trolling got him sort of noticed or it's, you know, the, the, the promotion or, for example, with like Loud Records um, and Wu-Tang Clan, Steve Rifkin, what he was known was for street teams. So literally had people, you know, going to all different areas and like going to the local radio, like play this, going to the local record stores, like, you know, sell this, you know, and, and pushing it. And so that requires a lot of money. Now, the crux of the matter is that only around 5% of artists will become successful. So then the record companies are also recouping for that 95% of shit. Now, Yes, it, it, sometimes the blame could could lie with them with trying to do like crappy boy bands or whatever, but that's still, you know, what I guess one of their kind of counter arguments would be is it's similar with Hollywood films. I think it's like one out of ten Hollywood films are successful, so when they make it, they really make it hand over fist. Um, now, the record label was going to online, right? So the record label with the advent of the internet originally with all the Napster and the piracy and everything like that, when people were illegally downloading all the music, uh, it, it wiped billions of dollars off the record industry and they were laying off a lot of people. Um, and then what happened was that whilst a lot are probably still illegally downloading, majority of us went on to things like Spotify. So Spotify accounts for about 70%, I think, of the market. Then you've got iTunes. Uh, YouTube is another one um, and whatnot, but then how does it affect the artist? Well, the artist, he can't a lot of the times go onto Spotify. If he does go onto Spotify, um, it's not negligible. Like each download stream is, is less than a cent. So, you know, and then that's with even without any other deductions as well. So he would have to have, like, that's why people like Migos, for example, um, make a lot of money off the streaming because it, it or Drake, because it runs in such a high level that, you know, a billion streams ends up earning, you know, X amount of money. Um, but that's another thing, right? Because even with YouTube, like YouTube, you have to turn, turn over like hundreds, millions upon millions upon millions of views before you even kind of get anywhere. So, you know, and then that's coming back to even your luck because it's like one in 20 artists or a small percentage are even going to get, get noticed. So I know it sounds a little bit doomsdayish, but then the question would would arise, well, how do you make money? So in this situation, coming back to someone like a De La Soul, they're trying to get a better cut of the royalty, right? Um, and also, you know, trying to get it, get it legally 
tight for when they go forward and they get they get more of a revenue coming through. But even still, uh, their money won't necessarily be as 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 great off it. Uh, again, because they're not like a a Drake or a Migos or a Taylor Swift or someone like that. Um, record companies are still trying to get in now with what they call 360 contracts, which is they get your touring and merching or whatever. So the now, the way that artists have done and still do make money is is touring. Uh, that's why there's 360 contracts that record companies are trying to do now are bad. And if you're a musician, don't sign it because... If you're asking me from the limited research that I've done, is that your money actually comes from your touring and merchandise. Um, so whilst you will still have to pay a percentage to the guy that's doing the promotion, um, and you, you know you're the promoter and whatnot might take I don't know 10% or 20% or whatever the standard is, you still make money off that, and you still make money off your t-shirts and whatever. So that's why if you really do like an artist, um, actually the best thing to do is go see a live concert of them. Um, and, and, and actually still see sort of the merchandise. And the majority, so the top artists will probably get about 75% off their revenue from touring. So that's also another interesting thing, for example, with De La Soul, like how they've made able to make money. Like I was watching a Red Man on uh, Drinks Champs, and um, as he was saying, like De La Soul, even Red Man, like I've seen both of them live, it's crazy. It's crazy. I went to a dealer. I went to dealer soul concert probably ten years ago on the twentieth anniversary of uh, Three Feet High and Rising in what was in a dingy pub, and it was just unbelievable. But that's where these guys are, are making the money because even on the royalties that they'll be getting in the CD days, for example, it was even on the wholesale price, not even on the you know, everyone's marking everything up, right? So that's what you've got to realise. So I guess in closing, um, to try and be, I always try to be, I guess, optimistic in life. It, 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 music for me it is life. I uh, I can't imagine, I can't imagine life without it. I mean, from the first moment that I get up, to the last minute I go to sleep, I usually listen to Louis Armstrong jazz before bed, um, or even as I'm falling asleep. And in a way, I guess sort of the sacrifice that so many of these musicians make, and kind of part of the reason, I guess, why uh, as a first-generation Australian, why I was, was pushed away from being a, a, a sole musician for that very reason, if it's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough living. Um, and people that I know that are trying it still find it difficult, but it's, it's a noble art form. The money, like I said, would be in the touring and the performances and the merchandise. And that's where um, now sort of with the advertising. So that's when you watch a lot of video clips, you'll see like, you know, um, people have their own vodka line, for example, or, or other things like that. So then there's a lot of spin-offs that you do. But also the other advice that I would give is that, um, image is expensive, especially in this day of Instagram where, where keeping up with the Joneses has become on steroids, <laughs> you know, like, especially especially in hip-hop. So I think, you know, by all means, continue to do art. Um, 
be very careful of what it is that you're signing. And it's it's financial education at the end of the day. It's not just for music industry. The music industry is just an example. I mean, you'll find throughout life that no matter what you do, people will, will always try and get you in the fine print. I mean, I'll end it with a quick story. I remember as a kid, my dad's a builder, and um, we sat down, and I would have been, I think, six years old, and he was looking after me for the day. You know, and uh, my mum was working. And so he came in. It was supposed to be a straight signed deal, you know, sign the properties as developed, get his cash, you know, pay for our school fees, etc., etc. And I sat there. My dad's never yelled at me, never been angry, never been annoyed, never raised his voice around me at all. And he reads the contract and he sits and he just gives me this look he'll never forget. And he was like, just shaking his head in the kind of like in an apologetic manner, like I'm sorry to do this to your son, but you're gonna to have to see the side of me. And he's unleashed on the real estate agent. Because what the real estate agent had done is in the fine print added another few percent uh, commission for himself. And this relates back to the music industry because a lot of people are so pumped to sign to a major label that they hardly read what they're what they're signing and sign away stuff that they should be signing. And my pops just unleashed on the dude because <laughs> he was outright trying to cheat him, took me out. And then as soon as we crossed out the door, he was like, you know, I'm sorry you had to see that, but let that be a lesson to always read the fine print. And like I said, that's what I'll pass on to aspiring musicians. And those that are already in the industry will keep touring, brother, and let me know. I'll be there to watch you. So, look, thanks for joining me on the second part of the evening series with LA and my attempt to let you know about the recording industry. Uh, I'm sure it's a deep, deep, deep topic of which we can have people on and add a little bit more. Anyway, stay tuned. Uh, the final in the series is going to be on global warming. It's a finale of finales, and uh, it's going to be going down. <laughs> ah, peace.